Hola, so we'll return this afternoon to the meditative cultivation of compassion and tracking these three modes of suffering. The first one, as you recall from yesterday, is this blatant suffering. It's what we manifestly don't want. And it happens when we get something we don't want or we don't get something we do want. It pretty much boils down to that. And the natural response, and the Buddha was very explicit about this, that when we experience that manifest suffering, the first impulse is just make it go away. Don't want to hear it, don't want to feel it, don't want to know about it, just go away. Smother it, stifle it, anesthetize it, obliterate it, but just make it go away. We in the modern world with our myriad entertainments, our activities, our medicines and so forth, I think we have done an unsurpassed job of devising methods for concealing or obscuring the nature of suffering. For all of the marvelous progress over the last especially 400 years, I basically think of modernity being the last 400 years, starting with Galileo, um, for all of the marvelous progress in so many ways in terms of knowledge, how much knowledge do we really have about the origins of suffering? After 400 years of this fantastic, exponential growth, mainstream psychology doesn't really regard anger as a mental affliction. It's only when it gets excessive. Otherwise, it's just natural. Desire and attachment, simply natural, only when it's excessive. Jealousy, only when it's excessive. It's not clear to me that we in the modern world have a clue from this modernity. It's not clear to me of a clue about mental diseases, yes. And Buddhism can learn a lot from that, the interface between the two. But for the normal people, the obsessive, compulsive, delusional people, normal people like us, why do we suffer? Well, for this, I think it just makes common sense if there's anybody on the planet who's actually found a way out of the thicket beyond the ocean of suffering, they must be the experts. And in the Buddhist tradition, we say, well, the Buddha himself, great arhats. And so there's the manifest suffering, the blatant suffering. But the Buddha said, instead of just wanting it to go away, instead of obliterating it, instead of wanting to just turn away, he said, Dini dunga kidemba ene karsabane shepa wo senada munzemba recognize it. Here's the reality of suffering. Recognize it. Don't just obliterate it. Recognize it. And then here's the reality of the source of suffering and then dispel that. And so the outer ramparts of samsara, what's in our face, what is explicit, is the suffering itself. A frustration, disappointment, unease, restlessness, anxiety, fear, the whole gamut including all the physical pain and distress. But then when we start probing inwards, say, what really lies at its core? After we've, after we've pointed to everything else, our parents, that's a big one. I suffer because I was born and it was my parents' fault. It's my genetic, it's my genes, it's my environment. I was raised in England. 
I was, I was raised in a California. I was raised, you know, I was raised in some place, but you know, whatever. After we finished with that, and find that's really not quite a satisfactory explanation, then the finger starts coming in. Is it just me? And no, it's not just me. What is it in terms of our way of attending to reality, engaging with reality? What is it that makes us so vulnerable for suffering, that sets us up so that, we must, so that we must suffer. And of course, as you know, that which really keeps the engine of samsara running, and running and running and running in a very practical way that we can observe that it's in gear, is attachment. Attachment and craving. Attachment and craving. And so I won't, since we've, we've covered this ground before, I won't go back to the definition. I will assume you know it, that desire is not the same as attachment. Uh, attachment is a mental affliction rooted in delusion. But it is clinging onto that which is, in essence, it is clinging onto and craving for and then holding onto that which is not a source, a true source of happiness, of well-being, as being the true source of happiness and well-being. That which is not a true refuge, not a true sanctuary, as being a true sanctuary. And then clinging to it. <coughs> people, objects, places, status, all of these kind of things. And so when we turn now to the second, this whole second dimension of suffering, the suffering of change, it often manifests as the good life, as pleasure, success, happiness. Oh boy, I wish I could be like that person. And we find people like that. I've met them. I've met quite a number of them. And you look at them, how they talk, and they're cheerful, and they're joyous. And you see how they engage with other people and they're just, they're just overall buoyant and happy. They're enjoying life. Not a shred of dharma. There's just no dharma practice at all. No particular emphasis on ethics. Nothing in terms of inner transformation. But they seem so happy. And I've met people like that. And I'm happy for them. I don't want people to suffer. But when there's no dharma, no orientation towards genuine happiness, no recognition of the true causes of suffering and the true causes of happiness, then such well-being, look, look what holds it up. Look what holds it up. It look, it's like a house. It's a house of happiness. Okay? Look underneath the house. Look at the stilts that hold it up. The many stilts, the many pillars that hold it up. And you'll find that they are just rooted in the ever-changing sands of samsara. And they're totally beyond control. And the tide's coming in. The tide's coming in. And the tide will absolutely come in. There's absolutely no question about it. The tide will come in, the sands will wash away, and all those pillars, one by one, will collapse. And so, it's not to be grumpy, it's not to be cynical, but actually to be able to feel compassion for those people who are living the good life. They've got good health, they're attractive, they're famous, people love them, they're really friendly, they're generous. They're eating great food and wearing elegant clothes, and boy, they've got it made in the great samsara lottery, the great casino of samsara. They won the jackpot, and they're just raking it in and so happy. We can be happy for them. But underlying that, when we see that that, what, that which upholds their well-being, their happiness, their cheerfulness, their, all of that, that which upholds it, provides the support, is all attachment all attachment, then right there in the midst of that, 
we can feel compassion. That it's just a time bomb waiting to, waiting to explode. You know, it will definitely happen. These simple themes, and it will be on this point that I end, but these simple things that all, everything that is born perishes. Everything that is acquired is lost. Every time there is an elevation to higher, higher status, social position and so forth, it will fall away. And everywhere there's a meeting, there will be a separation. Just simple truths, not religious truths, not philosophical truths, just true truths. Ignoring those truths and building one's life and one's pursuit of happiness as if they were not true is delusional and gives rise to suffering. So, as we venture into <coughs> this session of compassion, I suggest that we begin as usual by attending to ourselves and seeing what I just said. Is that true or false? Because this is not religion. This is not, not religion in the sense of you know, we have to believe in some authority, some sacred text, some great being from the past. Oh, it must be true, the Buddha said it. This is either true or it's false, but it's one of those things that lends itself to investigation. It calls for our intelligence, for our memory, to probe inwards on those occasions in the past where we felt life is going my way, this is good, and then lo and behold it passes and that phase is gone. So not just looking at the blatant suffering, but seeing, is it true? Is it true that detachment is just an ongoing perpetuator? A great deceiver, really. Anger doesn't deceive. Anger is kind of honest. And that is, when you're angry, I, I, I don't know if, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, when I'm angry, I'm never happy. I don't like being angry. I think some people, I guess, do. They kind of have kind of a, a meta level of happiness about being angry, but I never do. Whenever anger arises, I never feel at rest. There's no peace, there's no calm, there's no inner joy, there's no inner sense of well-being at all. It's all masked over, covered over, it's gone, you know? So at least when anger arises, we know what we're dealing with. It's painful. When attachment arises, it feels good. It feels good, you know? It tricks us. That's why attachment's called mara, the great deceiver. Of all the mental afflictions, perhaps attachment and craving is the greatest, the greatest deceiver. Because it leads us on, and then it never fails to disappoint. One would think one would learn, but here in samsara, we have a perpetual tendency of amnesia, to forget and forget and forget again. So let's go into the cultivation of compassion, first of all, for, for ourselves as we attend to the past, but also recognizing our proclivities, our tendencies towards attachment and craving now, this mental affliction, and then arousing the yearning. May I be free not only of the symptoms for which our society is so adept at smothering, covering over, obscuring, one way or another, with entertainment, with work, with talk, with medications, with anything. We should all, you know, all will win Nobel Prizes for our ability to smother the symptoms of suffering. But let's move beyond that, down to the underlying cause of attachment, and arouse the yearning to envision, to imagine, what would it be like 
to be free of attachment, free of craving. Arouse that yearning and then turn outwards with compassion for all. Okay, let's jump in, see how it goes. Let's settle the body, speech, and mind in their natural states. And then we may begin this meditative cultivation of compassion by bringing to mind a line from Shantideva. While we all wish to be free of suffering, we hasten or run after the causes of suffering, out of delusion.
with a gentle spirit, a spirit of caring, not judgment or condemnation. Look back upon your own life on those occasions where you have suffered, especially mentally. And inspect, examine carefully for yourself, using your full intelligence, your analytical ability, your critical faculties. On those occasions in the past where you especially have mentally suffered, can you trace the cause, not only to the catalysts, the contributing factors of others' behavior, the environment, and so forth, a myriad of things, can you trace the root cause? Back to your own mind. And within your own mind, see for yourself, can you trace that suffering back to your own craving and attachment. True or false? Check it out. even recently, over the last week, when your mind became turbulent, if that did indeed occur, regardless of the events outside, when you lost your balance, you lost control, your practice slipped, was this simply due to external circumstances? Or can you trace it to your own craving, your own attachment? Check it out. Was even your spiritual practice resting and flourishing, seemingly, but on the basis of pillars of attachment, which then fell away, leaving you confused and unsettled.
envision being free, engaging with reality with your eyes open and your vision clear, seeing reality as it is. pursuing happiness and without craving or attachment, but with a pure and wise motivation. Imagine being free of all manner of attachment, of craving for material possessions, for sensual pleasures, for praise, for appreciation, respect, acknowledgement, love and admiration by others. Imagine being free of all manner of craving and attachment. if you will, this yearning, may I be free of this ever so powerful and habitual inner cause that brings suffering every day, every lifetime. Arouse the yearning to be free. This vision of freedom, we actually imagine being free of an obscuration, a veil, a hindrance that obscures the innate bliss, the joy that arises from our own substrate consciousness, the ground state of our own minds, our birth, our birthright, our heritage. Imagine being free of such obscurations so that the innate bliss of your own mind can flow freely. The bliss of samadhi.
then direct your awareness outwards to this world of sentient beings and let your attention alight where it will upon loved ones or friends, people you know from the workplace, or by way of the media, we know of so many people throughout the world. And there is so much suffering. Attend to the underlying causes of suffering and arouse the yearning. May we be free and imagine it to be so with each in-breath. Imagine drawing in suffering and the causes of suffering and dissolving it without trace in your heart. Let's continue practicing now in silence.
Let's bring the session to a close.